to Movement Conversations, a podcast powered by New Generations. I'm Roy Morand, your host for season two, and I'm excited about what we've got lined up for you this season. If those of you who are not familiar with New Generations want to go to newgenerations.org, you can find out more about us. We're in about 55 different countries with over 900 engagements focusing on about 150 plus movements uh, at the moment. So love to have you learn more about us. I would also love to have you subscribe to this podcast so you'll get alerted every time we drop a new episode as well as to share it with your friends. Let them know what's going on and get a few more people in our conversation. uh, That's enough about the intro. Let's get into our guest for today. Once again, today we have the opportunity to eavesdrop on Harry Brown as he is engaging with a playbook group, a DMM playbook group of senior leaders who are engaging what it looks like to add DMM to their local fellowships. Uh, You're looking at North America. You're a North American. You've you've lived here your entire life, but yet you you spend a lot of your time focused overseas. What would you look at or say, respond to, uh, point out in terms of the idea of the North American context and this DMM, uh, con- the tactic that we're playing. Sure. There's, you know, a ton of stuff that we could do. I'll focus on two. And those two things would be, we have a spiritual warfare problem and we have a paradigm problem. The, the spiritual warfare problem um, is rooted in what we all know, and yet we largely ignore that the heavy lifting's in the heavenlies. Everybody understands that, that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, principalities and powers, et cetera. And, and yet when it comes down to what you measure and what you celebrate, i.e. what are your values, very little investment goes into intercession, very little training, teaching, very little celebration. We, we saw a stronghold broken kind of a thing that set the captives free. So even though it's recognized universally as preeminent, it's not treated that way. And for me, that goes back into the context of Paul saying, we're not ignorant of his schemes, but why do we keep acting so ignorantly? And one of the expressions of acting ignorantly, even though we ostensibly know, is again, where Paul said, "Um, I'm not the one boxing against the air. And the the imagery for me is the devil with a projector and a shadow puppet on the wall. And you're fighting on that shadow all the time while he's laughing on the sidelines. So the the spiritual warfare aspect is a really big deal. And it directly relates to the paradigm problem. It's not the sole issue, but it is a dominant issue. So what is the paradigm problem? I'm a byproduct of a system where I was born and bred of the idea that it's not my job. Now, I came to faith early. Um, I've been to three different Bible schools, been in full-time ministry for 47 years, yada, yada, yada. It's only late in that process that the epiphany happened for me, that it's actually my job as assigned not by the pastor, not by the program or the organization, but by the Lord. When, when he said, make disciples and teach them to obey, everybody on the evangelical side basically is sensed that that's a universal mandate, not the assignment to specialists. Disciple making doesn't line up in the spiritual gift category. Some are gifted for this, some for that, the other thing. It's that pervasive and it's on the surface obvious and yet it is not in the conversation. Um, I, I've taken an approach to this just for me personally to where I've been something like 85 countries around the world. And so you sit down to whoever qualifies as Joe and Sally Smith, ordinary people, not the polished up front, not the ones who are, you know, going to have the canned pat answer. And, And in some culturally appropriate way, ask them the question, why do you think God left you on this earth after he saved you? And in my experience, you never hear any equivalent to to bring the kingdom of God into my circle of influence because it's not their job. And it's not their job because it was never in the paradigm. And since it's not in the paradigm, I actually can be on the sidelines guilt-free 
And what am I doing on the sidelines? I'm showing up. I'm looking right. I'm acting right. I'm paying up and I'm introducing because that is my job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I fulfill my responsibility, I have checked the box and my overarching premise is the only way to get the great commission done is ordinary people multiplying disciples in their natural networks. If that premise is true, you got to start with paradigm because if they don't think it's their job, the game is over. If you can get them as leaders to accept the paradigm and the spiritual strongholds are broken, then the next part of the discussion is what's the track to run on and what are the achievable little wins in the same direction that will allow a church at any level to become more of what it should. And I stop short of saying movements flow out of every church, whatever, because in some cases that's not realistic, but it is realistic to climb the staircase. So a leader assesses what is my context? What are the um, desired outcomes to be better? What are the required um, people and money? What are the barriers restraining that? What do I have to do in what order to achieve that goal? That's the basic process everybody knows when they're facing a strategy problem. So you look and say, okay, in my context, my leaders, my time, the, the amount of inertia in a certain direction, the, the number of dissatisfied entrepreneurs I think I can identify, et cetera. You come up with a plan, but all plans have to be climbing the staircase towards the better future. So um, there, there's more we could talk about, but just two things for today. We have a absolutely paradigm problem that's directly linked to a spiritual warfare problem is a place to start digging in. Maybe two of you have questions uh, for Harry. Um, I, I've got one here. Um, so why is it fundamentally harder uh, to get people in, in the West, North America especially, to see that as their job? Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, East Africa, Kenya, you know, India, and, and places like that. Um, why, why do we have a... Yeah, so uh, that's, the, the answer has multiple facets. It's not just one issue that's at work against us. Um, part of what's at work against us is that there has been generations of intercession to break the strongholds that are preventing it. And they're, they're the ones that are more subtle. It's things like pride, things like um, my ego is at risk, my status is at risk, my budget's at risk, whatever else. So the, the concept of the kingdom became subordinated to, and forgive the term, it's just for emphasis, what's good for my empire, not for his kingdom. Now that is, um, often in the equation, even if it's not the whole of the equation. Mm -hmm. So that's a piece of it. Uh, another piece of it is that it's what leadership focuses on. Um, somebody uh, was doing a YouTube sitting on a bicycle and they say life goes where you look. So if you're like this and you look over here, the bike starts going that way. Well, where do the people in the pew look? Where leadership points? If, if leadership is pointing to whatever, People will gravitate that direction. So we're, we're behind the curve in leadership pointing where people need to go. And why are we doing that? Well, because we perceive, or at least we have chosen to believe that we're successful at what we're doing. And this sounds a little on the seminary kind of side, uh, and I don't mean it to be, but it does have a point to it. You have to define success and then you have to design strategy, then you have to develop structure. A lot of what has happened is the inertia of the past of we have this structure in place. And so now we're gonna to try to extrapolate a little more of something that we can call good and we'll label it success. If you, you know, go clean sheet of paper on this stuff and say, okay, the, the purpose of our existence as defined by God in his word looks like this and what we're going to do to make that true looks like that therefore we must have this in place 
we must have this proportion, meaning certain things get more investment, more attention than others. It doesn't mean just wipe the slate, yada, yada. That's the nature of, of building for a better future. So when you're doing that, or let me say it the other way, when you're not doing that, which is what the West is not doing, then you, you wind up either just flat stuck, going in circular motion, or unfortunately, some are now regressing because they're looking at other things, like the wrong side of social justice. I mean, scripture is full of justice. You, you, you can't have opened the cover and not see it. But where it becomes the dominant thing that leads you off of a cliff, then it's at, at best disproportionate. And at worst, it's actually fog on the windshield kind of thing. So there, there, again, there's more I could say about why the West is behind the curve. That's just a taste. <laughs> That's good stuff, Harry. <clears throat> you shared some of that at the Vineyard uh, webinar you did. I listened in on that Dave Hinman had put out, um, inviting oh, okay. us to. And um, I asked my team the next day, without them having heard what you said about um, why are you here on this earth? What's the purpose for you being here? And I was I was very pleasantly surprised that they they all gave a version of the right answer. I thought, holy crap, this is great! Um, and so and that encouraged me that we're moving in the right direction. He said, "Well, we need a, we're we're here on earth because we're supposed to be ones who bring the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, to bear in our place of influence." And that was in essence their answer. And um, so I'm encouraged by that, but I'm also. Um, I think part of my frustration with not knowing how to move forward with the playbook is how, how to do what you just described. Mm -hmm. And, and there, I have grown up in the context of what you just described about senior pastors, Sam's facing it, the senior pastors who are narcissistic, they have their empire, their, their thing. And that's, that's what I grew up knowing. And I haven't pushed that. I haven't tried to do that myself. I think that is a big reason why we're behind the curve in America. It's, it's all about, it's more of a, about a production than it ever is, has been about making disciples, even though we all, like you said, would agree that that's what we're supposed to be doing, but that's simply lip service. And so it's like, well, can it really happen? Can open door fellowship really transition? And I'm still committed that it can, but um, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. I just wanted to, I was encouraged by what you shared and, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, it's like, it's like future church where Will presents that idea of the lower room, upper room, you know, yeah. that's what we, we have in essence kind of poisoned ourselves as churches in America, because we've been focused on the lower room for so long that we've, we've, we are, we are just blind to not only what we may know what the mission is, but how to actually get there and how to, like you said, Harry, have that white piece of paper, like, well, let's just get a clean slate and let's rethink through this, not just trying to let's tweak this or tweak that to kind of get what we can say is better success. Um, but I mean, I recognize that even here in the situation I'm in, like one of the issues with me and the senior pastor is he's thinking Laura. That's all he's known. That's what he's familiar with. And that's what he's embracing. And so he's trying to say that I'm presenting, he's even said that I'm using words that they, they don't use and I'm saying things that they don't think. And, and I'm like, I've challenged it. I've been like, yeah, but what's wrong with that? <laughs> um, you know, and I, and, but the idea is he's, he doesn't, he's challenged and is threatened in a sense of the way I'm trying to communicate and think about kind of the bigger picture because oh. it's totally changing his, um, you know, what he knows and what he's familiar with. So, so. briefly describe the lower room, Sam. Yes. So, yeah. So like the lower room would be um, things like the personality, right? The, the leader, um, the, the, the people, the relationships within the church, the, the building itself um, or the programs that are within the church that, uh, you know, that we, that we love, that we, that we run, not, not to say that any of those things are necessarily bad in of themselves, but those things become, the focus and kind of all that we're focused on and all that kind of drives everything that we're doing when those things, you know, as Will would communicate aren't bad things and they are important to the, the, what we're doing. But if we just focused on those, we're really missing the big picture. We're really missing the upper room thinking and using those things to help promote and move the, the big vision, if you will, 
of how we accomplish the mission God has given us. Uh, I, I, I cannot remember what I shared on the vineyard thing. So if I'm repeating, I apologize. Um, no, it's good. This is only the second time I'm hearing you. I need to hear it five more times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get one of those little cards like you get when you change your oil. You get so many stamps before. <laughs> um, for me, God gave me what I call a pants down spanking out of Revelation 2 and 3 at a particular junction of, you know, a very long professional ministry career. And I characterized uh, Revelation 2 and 3 as a CEO discussion to where the big boss has arrived. And the first thing he does is affirm, you did this well. And it's in the spirit of honor to whom honor is due. And the, the reason to say that is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's good things that are happening. They need to be recognized as such. But then he makes a CEO transition. And he says, but I have this against you. And that, I mean, that should make you wet your pants. Then he, he follows up by saying, you left this undone, the sin of omission, or you did this wrong, the sin of commission. Then he says, I'll give you time for you to fix it, or else there will be consequences. Mm -hmm. That For me, that's a paraphrase of a straight up CEO kind of discussion. And the reason to share this is, not to disparage or to discredit the things that are good and are worthy. At the same time, not to take a free pass on the things that were either left undone or done wrong. And then that comes back to, then what would God have me to do? And how am I stacking up against what he asked, not what I want or what I have participated in heretofore kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Against that measure, you can lead people um, who have ears to hear. There's a caveat. You can lead people who have ears to hear to discover what should be and how to get there. Now, that's not a snap the fingers thing, but it is a journey for those who share the same heart. Mm -hmm. So now you're into the risk benefit equation. You're into the what is the ROI is that is highest and best for my life investment. So the risk benefit kind of thing says, I'm in this ABC situation. It needs to be here, it's here. It will take this amount of time, energy and so forth to achieve two steps up, 10 steps up, whatever it is. And I look then at my life investment and say, of what I have left, is this the best place to invest it? Now, obviously, there's the overriding issue of God's calling and direction. God often does things that aren't according to the formula. So if the Lord says, this may not look like highest and best, but I'm expecting you and assigning you to, to hang in there, then do it. Because what we don't see could be just around the corner where God and God alone changes the dynamics. Mm -hmm. that, that's an Esther 9 situation. Esther 9 Everything is as bad as it could possibly be. And then all of a sudden, the Lord turns things totally 180 degrees. We just don't know when that's going to be there. So my advocacy is to be doing the kind of analysis that says for where I think we should be and what it'll take to get there. Is it achievable with my life investment in a reasonable time frame for a high enough ROI? Yes, no. If it is, then set about a course to make it so. If it's not, unless God says otherwise, you got to think about other options. You know, when I think about your, do you have a question there, Jerry, or comment? <laughs> I'm just, I was, I'm glad you're recording this. I need to go back and listen to what you guys are saying. So, uh, you know, I, I saw a quote here recently. It says, uh, you do not rise to the level of your goals. Uh, you fall to the level of your systems. Hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we look at in the way we have done this uh, sort of collectional church strategy is that the only system we have is this weekly rhythm mm -hmm. of calling people to a large meeting. And maybe we break them out into some small meetings and we try to handle the kids in some way. And so, but that system is, is what we've built. And, and then, you know, uh, I, I love, I don't know if you've ever taken a look at the gospel primer that 
uh, Christ Together does. But I love their idea of the operating system. Um, you know, the, the concept of what we have is an operating system. That is this collectional strategy, bring people together once a week, uh, maybe split them out a little bit, do a few things and stuff. But pretty much that's the system we have. And, and when that doesn't work, that doesn't get so we have this goal, you know, we have this goal to win the world, to fulfill a great commission. All that. And that's our goal, not our system. So the system is, is getting us this consumer Christianity type you know, people and stuff. And, and so, you know, we, we come along and we say, OK, let's let's uh, try to achieve our, our, our goal better. So now let's uh, create the they're not going to change the operating system. We're going to change the apps that ride on the operating system. So we're going to create a men's ministry. We're going to create a women's ministry. We're going to create, you know, kids ministry. We're going to have a youth ministry. We're going to have some kind of outreach to poor people. We're going to have some kind of outreach to the immigrants. We're going to have some kind of, you know, thing going on like that. We're going to help people with their finances and we're going to do FPU and we're going to help people with their marriages. So we're going to do, you know, the marriage retreats and all this kind of stuff. So we have all these apps that we put on the operating system, hoping that, you know, we will achieve our goals when in fact, the system is what's driving what we're getting as results. And, and so the need to change that operating system and say, okay, what I need to do at a base is a new system. I need a new way of getting people from exploring uh, God to being multiplying disciples. And I need to figure out what's the system that, that makes that work. And then how do the elements that I currently have work in that system? Now, you know, what's funny is I, I had a conversation with a couple of guys from uh, Phoenix the other day, and they were, you know, the reason they got a hold of me is they wanted to know about the, the large meeting. Does the large meeting have a place in movement? You know, and so it's like, well, I, 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 that, that might be the wrong question, you know, in a sense, because you're asking the function question, not the form. I mean, you're asking the form question, not the function question. You know, it's like, um, I mean, you know, it, it, it doesn't re really matter how big the meeting is. It's why the meeting is happening is, is, the, is a critical factor in that, that process, you know? Uh, so you could have a Sunday morning meeting and, and it could work perfectly in what you're doing. Um, but it's, if it fits, you know, why it fits there and stuff. So I think one of the reasons I, you know, developed this idea of the playbook was to get you guys to think through your system. You know, how, how do you go from someone interested in figuring out who God is to getting them to be a multiplying disciple. And how do the resources that you have, you know, there at open door, how does, how do you apply those resources to make that happen? Um, and, 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 you know, you obviously are flying the plane um, as you're building it, you know, in that sense, you already have something going and that kind of stuff. And you have a leadership team who you baptized into, you know, every movement book that, that there is known to humankind. Uh, which, you know, I, I tell your story quite often, you know, it's like, I know this guy in Indiana who, who made his leadership team, you know, read practice movement, spin matches, this, you know, they, they read it all, you know, and uh, it's like, wow, how does he do that? I said, I don't know, he's magic. He's got a, you know, he's got a, a seminar about it. You can buy it for $19.99. That's nine, $1,999, not $19.99. You know? um, but, you know, that, that you, you've done some hard work you know, in that process to get, you know, some folks to answer that question correctly that, you know, Harry was asking, you know, and that kind of stuff. Now it's like building a system yeah. that, that fits, you know, so, so that you can get to where you want to go, not just, you know, doing some events like, you know, we all do events right now, you know, in that sense. So, so here's a quote uh, to buttress Roy's point. It's from a guy named Jared Wilson. He said, the system in place is perfectly designed for the results you're getting. Yeah. So when when you're talking with the staff and, and people who, uh, the assumption is that they, they really want highest and best, then you do the analysis of what is the system producing. And if we don't like the output, we, we have to change the process, which is what Roy is advocating. I'll, I'll also add to that, um, all, all you guys as leaders have to manage a portfolio. And this is intentionally in the language of uh, finance because you're going to get different ROI at different levels. So there's certain things that you have to do, but they have a very low ROI. There's some things that you like to do. There's a certain ROI or yada, yada. 
There's some things, though, <clears throat> that you want to build that'll give you multiples of anything you've ever had before. That portfolio has to be managed and has to be part of the strategy, especially when it comes to time, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to money, and when it comes to structure slash system, because there's a gravitational pull to structure slash system that doesn't stay on the whiteboard. As soon as you erase the board, it tends to take over. So that's a dynamic that you just have to analyze and say, okay, in the portfolio, I've got this, but I'm going to age it out over time. These things need to be upgraded in the following ways. And I'll put the people and the process in place. And this needs to be added because the ROI on the back end is going to dwarf everything else, but it'll take me three years to get there. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing is, is um, my perception part of what you're going to have to deal with to, to have a sense of fulfillment that um, reflects what you would like to have perfect world, but is adjusted to the circumstances where God has placed you. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> I'm drinking through a, wa a water hydrant at the moment. <laughs> so I'm feeling this is really good. <laughs> What's an RIO or ROI? I didn't even get what it was. <laughs> Uh, in the language of finance, return on investment. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Gotcha. And, and the, the reason for things like business term or finance languages, they get very clear, very practical. I'm not meaning to cheapen ministry or make no. it all about system. That is not the point. The, the point is, though, that we have to be able to look at things um, with realistic assessment of what it's producing relative to what we said God wanted. And, and that's, that's something that just, um, it's a dynamic that has to be present. Uh, the, the reality in human nature is that drift is endemic and it starts day one. Doesn't matter how good the knowledge is, the execution will begin to drift. So evaluation is the antidote that is uh, constant and honest. If it's not constant, you're going to find some big gaps. Oh, goodness, how could we have gotten here? If it's not honest, which a lot of it is not, it yeah. is just flat. I can't deal with the truth, so I'm going to invent a reality I can live with. Mm. That's that's true. That's very true. That's And that's why I felt I needed to. Sam, I don't want to cut you off. Is there anything you want to share? Jump in, please. Um, that I, I've had... I've repented to the congregation multiple times over where I've led them because that's I, I'm responsible for at least a good portion of that. And I think that's a good starting point to turn directions uh, to where we need to be headed. Um, and we have, we've, I've drifted way too long. What, so, so the evaluation part, that speaks somewhat to the metrics you're measuring too. You're going to evaluate what you're, you're measuring. What would be two or three of the main metrics in a, in, a, in a church that's trying to transition to being a true DMM gathering or, or people who are, are truly making disciples as a way of life, not as a program? But what I mean, when we listen to uh, what you shared, Harry, I, had, I shared your um, webinar with our leadership team after it asked that question and shared a little bit about Will's book on the metrics you measure. And you guys have talked about it here. I said, why are we counting people? I said, this has nothing to do with our goal, the people who are in our building on a Sunday morning. I said, that's stupid. Let's stop doing it. So we stopped doing that. I said, we'll still count the offering. It's probably good to know what we have to work with. So we're still counting offering, but it's not, it's more of a, a you know, integrity of being transparent with our finances. But I said, we, we got to figure out what we need to start measuring to know for our actually being successful in making disciples. And so I said, what would we measure? We kind of looked at each other and we really didn't have any good answers. We thought, well, it could be how many people you baptize. Well, that's, we still, we already do that, but that's, that's still should be an important thing to be thinking about. And we thought how many discovery groups we're having, or I don't know. I, I don't, this is kind of new. What are the most important two or three metrics that DMM, a movement should be looking at? What should we be evaluating? So with, with your permission, Roy, if it's okay with you, I'll give a little broader answer, then I'll bring it down to specifics. Is that okay? Yeah, we got 30 minutes left, so go ahead. So uh, the, the, the broader answer is um, 
there needs to be a distinction between measuring and evaluating. Measuring moves towards the quantity side, evaluating moves to the quality side. They're both important, just make sure they're both in the mix. Then a, another thing that I'll just offer by way of illustration that's meaningful to us is uh, this little thing right here. If you can see it on the screen, this is a Lego block. And the, the beauty of this as a metaphor is fixed and flexible. In, in the fixed nature of this thing, it's made out of a certain material. It has little posts that are always the same dimension, the same height. The receptacle holes are always the same and so forth. So you can build anything with these because infinite creativity is in the expression of how these things can be used. Check out Legoland and they're making whole uh, miniature cities. This one's San Francisco, this one's New Orleans, this is New York. And absolutely everything is built out of this. That's the fixed part. The flexibility is the creativity on how you choose to express it. So why am I sharing that with you? Roy was talking about apps on top of an operating system. The apps like men's ministry or feeding the poor or whatever else need to have a fixed component. And I'm getting to the answer to your question. I would say two things that you should be looking for is, is it rooted in obedience and is it consistently reproductive? Uh, I gave you a phrase a while back, my paradigm, obedience-based reproductive discipleship. Uh, business can call that the critical path or critical success factor, yada, yada. The bottom line is there's all sorts of expression of ministry, but they have to stand on a foundation. They have to be rooted in bedrock. Is this particular expression reflecting obedience to God and is it reproductive? If it is, it's the, um, the, the stones that will construct the kingdom. That's the nature of how the kingdom is. It's built brick by brick upon those things. So whatever form and shape and dimension and magnitude the kingdom takes, it's built on the bricks of obedience to God's will revealed in his word. And it's reproductive. That's because more bricks happen when other people are adding them next to you. So when, when, you, when you're looking for a metaphor in addition to Lego blocks, you can go to John 15. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. Well, that's reproduction. There's a lot that's happening. But then he goes and says that fruit should remain. There's an element of deeply rooted equality in that thing. And, and the idea um, that I perceive from John 15 is, okay, is the stuff that we're doing going to be growing and good mm -hmm. and as as leaders you, you can't watch for 50 things and you certainly can't train non-leaders to look for 50 things you can get them to look for a few things like is it growing and is it good according to a standard that you agree upon for for me that gets you into the game of okay everybody at a covenant level we're going to say to each other the stuff that we do, does it meet that standard? Is it good according to where we're going and what God wants? And is it growing, you know, rooted and reproductive, you know, that kind of thing. So that would be my encouragement to you. We'll get back to our guests in just a moment. But for those of you that like to connect with New Generations, newgenerations.org is a great place to go and find out information about things like ending scripture poverty, a very unique and disruptive approach to providing oral scripture to tribes that have never had the Bible in their heart language. Or you can find out about engagement to movement. Maybe you and or your church would want to be involved in, in helping get a unreached people group uh, to a stage in movement where the gospel can be planted and replicated in their world. So if you'd like to find out more about those, please go to newgenerations.org and you can find out about that. If you're in the North American region and you want to connect with our North American branch, 
You can go to newgenerations.us, find out about the habits training, how to become a multiplying disciple, and how to get involved in a network of people who are establishing teams to eradicate gospel poverty in their area. So thanks so much for listening today. We're going to get right back to our guest. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, um, in, in my estimation, when you're, you're moving that direction, a couple of things you can do right off the bat is what you just did, Jerry, and that is change what you're measuring. So you, you begin to ask yourself, not, not that you have to fix it at first. You don't have to decide that these are the absolute things we need to be measuring, but it's like, what if we measured multiplying disciples? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what if that was one of our core metrics and you, you put that up on the whiteboard and you live with that? Uh, idea and you start to look around and you start to see oh my gosh if that's one of our metrics we are failing so if that's going to be one of our metrics what would we have to do to get there and you start coming back to something mentioned earlier you know about um getting back into you know like i i i'm here and i'm there and i need to allocate resources and all this kind of stuff you know to to, to get there so you you get to that point where the setting the metric and you start to see if it works for you you know does it get me you know to where i need to go and i think that one does you know and that one is is one of those things that we, we do want um in that the the rub comes in in managing a group of people on their way to something when it's just aspirational. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I want to get to here and we don't have here. So now I've, I've got to find some small wins to celebrate, you know, so can we get, can we get a training rhythm going that, that might be a step toward that. And can we celebrate people getting through that training room? Can we celebrate more, more people training? Can we celebrate more engagement in the lost community? Can we celebrate some of these smaller wins that get us to the bigger thing? Um, and so it's breaking it down. Go ahead, Eric. And this is brainstorm. And the caveat is I've never been a senior pastor. I, I'm, I'm not trying to say I've walked in your shoes. So it's just a brainstorm. Um, my experience is that people express more ownership when they can participate in not just in the evaluation, but in the shaping. So here's what that looks like. If periodically on some rhythm, the the congregation or some subset of it could say, let's get together and I wanna hear how you think we're doing and here's some expressions of stuff that really is beneficial or some stuff that needs some attention. I now have a voice. I I now have an ownership interest. I have an evaluation set of glasses on and I have an opportunity inadvertently to be deepening my own DNA. As as I process it, because I'm gonna share it with you and that's speaking truth to power. If I say to you from the pew, you know, you said, here's who we are and whatever, I've felt like most of the discussions have been about other things. If I say that from the pew, I have rooted it as a DNA of value in me, and you didn't have to do anything about it other than to recognize whatever level of truth and say, we're gonna make a plan to fix that. Yeah. I like that. That's one of the things we've shifted. And since COVID, we started meeting around tables and I've started to give a lot more um, feedback from people. I like it. You're taking it a step farther, Harry, what you're suggesting. I like that a lot uh, to hear from people. There's a dynamic involved of what would it look like to you? Let's just call it Joe and Sally, whatever. Joe, what would this look like to you? Joe lives in cubicle land or whatever, and Sally's a soccer mom, whatever. What what does it look like to you is, is the interpretation, but it's more than the interpretation. It's implicitly a track for me to run on because I now have declared what it would look like for me. You didn't tell me what to do. I told you what I could do. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy, Buckminster Fuller, who is kind of a genius type fellow. Um, and he has this quote. Uh, he, he's, I don't know what he has to do with the geodesic dome, but he's, he's kind of a, always 
related to it, but uh, he says, uh, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. You change something, but to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And, and I think, you know, I, what I see, uh, for instance, I had a group of the Vineyard um, Missions, U.S. Missions Group in uh, staying with me uh, last week for a few days. And, and, and we had to work through some things because there was a bit of an angst in the room about the fact that though there were those in the denomination that didn't see what they were doing on Sunday morning was stupid and it was, you know, ridiculous. And they were, you know, there's just, just it's a real kind of a negative. And I just, I just said to him, I said, look, we're not never going to get anywhere by deriding what's going on. You know, uh, you, you've got to build something new. And, and that people will be, um, when you build what's new, they'll be drawn to it. You don't have to tear down what's there. So when you're dealing with, you know, an open door, do we keep the, you know, morning service the way it is or we change it and that kind of stuff? It's like, well, you can put a lot of energy into messing with that form. But if over on the side, you're not building something new, you know, you're not meeting with a group of people, building a team, getting them involved in losses, helping them start discovery groups, you know, in their neighborhoods or their workplaces or whatever and that kind of stuff. That's where the energy, you know, you need to take as much energy as you can from the what, what you take to put into the other stuff and put it over there, you know, and build a team, build some peers so that, that you're, you're multiplying yourself, you know, in the lives of other people. And so you have some co-collaborators now to be able to prosecute this whole new strategy. And people will look at that and, and, and you'll find that that's a much better apologetic than, you know, tearing down things, you know, quoting statistics about how the church is dying and all that kind of other stuff. Same, same basic point, different illustration. I forgot the, uh, the person that said it, but he said, if you want to build a ship, don't tell people to cut down the wood and to assemble the mast and all the rest. Yeah. Tell the people about all the glories of the undiscovered world you're about to see. It's the same basic point that Roy is saying. And, and I think in, in that vein, there is some things missing that you can add. And the missing is for Joe and Sally Smith, the, the people in the pew that are the essence of the workforce to accomplish uh, what God assigned us to. What, what is missing for them is a clear view of that better future, the hope that they can make a difference in any kind of a, um, here's what it looks like in a way that is appropriate to my capacity and my circumstances and still just um, overlaid with significance. The, the Joe and Sally's of the world don't feel like they can really contribute and feel like their level of gifting, their level of capacity, whatever it is, is insignificant to the enterprise. And it's exactly the opposite. And that's the lie of the enemy. Mm -hmm. If in fact their minds, their hearts can be captured by the idea that what happens in your living room on Tuesday night is the key to the Great Commission, as long as it involves these aspects. You have everything within your reach. The scripture says it's not out of reach. That, that kind of a mindset is largely absent. And so people are not energized to the activity. They, they respond out of duty to give their money or volunteer their time or something. As opposed to straining at the restraints to do something that would make their life feel fulfilled, significant, um, I'm a major player in, in the cause of the kingdom, even though I'm ordinary Joe and Sally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Welcome back, Dwayne. Yeah. So Harry. Yeah. Have you written a book yet? <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've scribbled a few thoughts here and there, but oh, it's not gotten to the book stage. Hurry up and get that book written. <laughs> I appreciate the encouragement. Because what you're saying, the stuff you're talking about, this is, is stuff that I have wrestled with for years. I've talked to other pastors about it's, it's that big picture stuff 
where it's like just getting your head wrapped around some of these concepts to move us forward. You know, and I've, I mean, I've read books on leadership and I've read books on, you know, all this stuff, but there's, I always feel like there's this missing component and a lot of what you're saying is filling in those things that I'm like, okay, yes, this is making sense. This is, this is what we need to start not only doing, but understanding and really sinking our, our, our teeth into as, as leaders who want to move things forward and see, see change occur within the context that God has placed us. Yeah. Amen. Lord, let it be. Yeah. yeah, I agree, Sam. That's, this is rich stuff. I mean, I don't know if Roy's been incredibly helpful. I, we had a revelation on our team that we, if we don't have outside coaching, we're not, we don't have a shot at this. And so it was a real blessing when Roy invited us to be a part of this cohort, but and you guys know this, but I mean, I'm like Sam on the, on the receiving end of it. Anything we can have that's, what's your playbook? I want to get a copy of your, your playbook to, to know how to do this stuff. And spent matches was incredibly helpful. But I agree with what Sam's saying. If there's any way we get more of this, this type of stuff that we won't lose, that's why I'm glad this is being recorded so I can go back and listen to it multiple times because I, I can't process everything I'm hearing, but it's really good. Yeah. And, and uh, thank you for the affirmation. Just a nuance to the illustration. Um, it doesn't help you to get a hold of somebody else's playbook. It helps you to understand the principles that made it successful. There, there is infinite diversity in the context and there's infinite diversity in the lost. Mm -hmm. And anytime you go one size fits all and playbook leans to that side, that there's somehow a formula. Now, a playbook for you is completely valid. That's not the point. The point is you can't borrow context to context and expect a commensurate result. So if, if you can distill the principles and then invent the playbook for your context, and even more importantly, get the people you relate to to think the same way, that don't just borrow my playbook, guys. Hear the essence of the issue because if you don't understand the problem, you can't devise a solution. Then get honest about what a solution would really look like and then be faithful to each other to make sure that you're actually climbing the stairs, not just running in circles. And apply it to the context that God has assigned to you, which is completely uh, a different set of creative tensions than whoever you borrowed it from. It's awful difficult to to go with a blank page, you know. So there's one side of that pendulum is uh, I can't do it with a blank page. I don't want to do it. The other side is uh, I, I want a uh, paint by numbers approach, you know. So right. give me Sam's book. I'll just uh, you know do a, a, a find replace, you know on. Uh, the name of the church and that'll be my playbook. You know, those two extremes are really difficult, you know, in a sense. And that's why, you know, we've got access to multiple playbooks now, you know, that you can take a look at and understand, you know, and, and the question is, is that, you know, Harry point out is why, you know, why, why would Dwayne do this? You know, why does Dwayne have this in here? And, and Dwayne and I've worked through his, his playbook. Uh, what, what's the version you're on with Dwayne now? 10, 10, yeah, 10. He's on 10. So he's had lots, you know, he had your guys' feedback that day when we set him in the middle of the room and we went through his playbook and had him explain things and, and question him. So that's, that's the beauty of, of getting that playbook done, you know, in this process is to say, you know, we're, we're going to be able to question you uh, and you're going to have to give us the whys of, of those kind of things. If we'd had Tim here today, we would have, you know, jumped in on, on his, um, in that process. Um, so, you know, it, it's just a, a way of getting your zero graph down and letting it hit reality. And that, you know, old uh, military uh, quote about, you know, no, no battle plan ever survived the first engagement with the enemy. You know, the moment you hit reality in this, it starts changing. It's not a living document. 
and, and you're not, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that comes out, you know, new generations and our desire to evaluate is, you know, listen, learn, adapt, listen, learn, adapt. That, this that idea has got to constantly be, it's a living document. So, you know, the fact that, you know, Dwayne has, has, has um, version 10, you know, is a testament to, to his willingness to listen, learn and adapt. And he'll have 11 and 12 and probably a 15, uh, 25 and, you know, it'll, it'll be a living document, you know, as, as long as he, you know, stays at it. Yeah, we're working on it now to where, how do we, it's not only for us, but how do we adapt it now to where us can translate it to others? Mm -hmm. That's where we're going now with it. So 11 and 12, 13 are coming up. They'll be released shortly, I'm sure. So, and all of you guys uh, have movement in your heart by whatever name, chain reactions, ripple effect, what, whatever it is. Th there's no chance that a playbook at generation one is going to be the playbook at generation 10. It, it just, it doesn't work that way. So part of your primary job is to help whichever leaders are in generation two to understand principles and to apply them to the context and allow the freedom from it to be different than how you apply them, but just ask them the why. What, what is the why behind that change? Is it producing the result you're looking for? Do you feel like, et cetera, et cetera. Those are coaching questions that teach them how to think, but they're also mentoring questions that tell them how to relate to the generation three leader. So that 10 generations down the road, your legacy is people who understood the principles and knew that they had to interpret them to the context, not that they did it my way. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between uh, your tombstone having your achievements versus uh, what Paul calls the story known and read of all men, which is people who, who gave a legacy to you. They, they, they got from me the essence of understanding that was required so that they could interpret their context and still make an impact. That's not the achievement that someone said, this is what they did while they were alive. The letter keeps having chapters in it because it's uh, always put into the next generation if it's done properly. Thanks for joining us on Movement Conversations, a podcast powered by New Generations. If you're looking for more information on New Generations, you can go to newgenerations.org. There you'll find information on ending scripture poverty or engagement to movement or any of the other strategic initiatives that we have attempting to fulfill the Great Commission in our lifetime. If you happen to be in North America, you can go to newgenerations.us or newgenerations.ca and find out about things like the Habits course, uh, a course for helping learn to become a multiplying disciple. And there you can join other men and women uh, in North America who are attempting to build uh, these strategic communities to fulfill the Great Commission through disciple-making that replicates uh, through their social networks. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you've uh, enjoyed our podcast. Look forward to when we drop a next one and having you with us.